I'm going to go ahead and pray so we can get started. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together, the freedom to actually still meet and study your word. We thank you for that opportunity and pray that uh, we'll be able to make the most of it by studying your word, by putting into practice the things that we've learned, and by continuing to witness to those in the world who are without God and without hope. And so we just pray that you'd help us. We have a big job to do these days. We have a world that's faltering, but we thank you that we know that you are coming soon. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, there are many biblical um, examples of patience uh, in the Bible. Uh, basically, for one thing, the, pa the prophets were patient men, and they waited on the Lord sometimes for years to hear from the Lord. They sometimes had to wait for God to speak or to act. And that took faith, patience, and perseverance. And we can do no less. One, one man who had these traits, perhaps more than most, was Job. James speaks about Job this way in James 3, 10 and 11. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Uh, it was funny because last teaching that Jacob did, he mentioned that Benny Hinn said that Job uh, basically made a negative confession and he didn't really have faith. <laughs> Not what the Bible says. <laughs> Job was a rich man and he was blessed with family and friends and he would regularly sacrifice on behalf of his children after they got together for a feast in case they had sinned. But you all know the story. Satan challenged God's blessings on Job by saying that Job would curse God if God took away those blessings. Then God allowed Satan to take Job's children, possessions, and even his physical health away. Job's friends then came when Job was in terrible pain and added to it by accusing of Job of doing something wrong to, de to deserve the judgment of God. In the middle of that trial, Job makes one of the strongest statements of faith that we have in the Bible. This is why Benny Hinn was so wrong. Job said in verse in chapter 121, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. There's a good song out there called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. And it reiterates the, that fact. We need to thank the Lord for whatever he allows us to go through, whether it be good things 
or difficult things. You know, Job was content to place his faith and fate in the hands of the creator. Job recognized that God had the right to do anything in this universe because it's his creation. This is what most people don't understand today. Hey, you're not the boss. The one who made you is the boss. And, you know, this fact should be enough for us also. But in modern times, we see, seem to need more. And there is more. God would not allow Job to suffer without just cause. He used the suffering of Job to prove Satan wrong. And as a witness to Job's friends and everyone who has heard his story since that time. You know, sometimes God uses trials to build our faith and accomplish higher purposes that we may know nothing of. Sometimes we don't know what God is doing. Maybe something that God is doing in our lives is meant for the future. We need to learn to be patient. We need to learn to be patient and wait on the Lord. The Lord will bring everything to justice. If not now, then in the end. We can trust the Lord. He is just. He's faithful. He's holy. God was merciful and not only accomplished his purposes, but blessed Job far more than he had before with new sons and daughters, possessions, and a name that would never be forgotten in the history of mankind. So we should always remember that. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, God's chosen people are dearly loved. The Lord loves us. Job was dearly loved, so much that God trusted Job to show Satan that there are men who place their full trust in God. It's an amazing thing. Are we that way? You know, if we clothe ourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, the Lord can use us to accomplish great things in his kingdom, and we will surely be rewarded, not only in this life with abundant life, but in eternity to come, with a crown. We need to be laying up our treasure in heaven, not here. Second Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It's one of my favorite verses. That's what we should be uh, doing. We should be doing the Lord's work with great patience. You know, as Christians, followers of Christ, we should always be prepared to preach the word with patience. Many times people do not come to faith in Christ for many years. I've had that happen in my life. People I never expected to give their lives to Christ finally came around. And they came to me and they said, it's because of your witness that, we, that that happened. And that's like, that hardly ever happens. But boy, when it does, it's, it's just really great to hear. 
People watch our lives. They listen to what we teach. They look for the evidence of Christ in our lives first. If, like Job, we show that our actions are as strong as our words, then people would, will be persuaded of the gospel message. So allow God to put you to the test. Don't be afraid. I used to be afraid of asking the Lord to teach me <laughs> because I knew he was going to answer that. <laughs> Woo! I might have to go through some difficult things. But out of the fire comes pure gold. Gold has to be smelted down to bring out the impurities and bring out the pure gold. Out of hot water comes cleanliness, etc. We have lots of things that we could look to. But we know that if we're patient and we do what the Lord asks us to do and go through what he's asked us to go through, then we can come out of it being used by the Lord and laying up our treasure in heaven. Now, some of you who perhaps watched while I was over in Devore uh, doing some messages over there will remember me giving this illustration, but I'm going to go ahead and give it here in case you didn't hear it. It works for this lesson as well. And it's a story from my life. As you all know, I grew up as a missionary kid in the island of Palau. And uh, it was, a, it was I was very fortunate to, to have that happen because I was like 10 years old when we moved out there. And it was like, it was the perfect place for a 10 year old boy to grow up. So many things to learn and do. And for me, one of the big things that I learned was spearfishing. And I loved to do that. And I used to actually, as I got better at it, I used to like to go outside the reef and fish out there because the fish were much larger. I actually had a seven foot long spear gun with a rope on it tied to it. And I would shoot the fish and then some, you know, either I or someone else would pull pull the really big fish up to the surface using the rope because it was usually tied to a buoy. Well, I was out there spearfishing one day with a couple other boys and they were actually on the raft that we used to go outside the reef and they were line fishing. But as I was out there, a storm began to brew. And sometimes storms can come up really fast out there. And it came up so quickly that within minutes, the waves at the reef were over 10 feet high. And I was pretty far away from my friends on the raft. And as I looked, I saw them paddling away. <laughs> they were scared too, and they were paddling for the reef. And the last I saw of them was that long bamboo raft tumbling lengthwise, end over end and disappearing on the other side of the reef waves. It was scary. And I was really scared because one of the boys was only eight years old and I was afraid that he probably died. It crashed on the, on the reef, you know, on the stones. But at that moment, I also had myself to worry about. 
I looked at the gigantic waves on the reef and the blowing rain, and I decided that I would probably not make it over the reef. I looked at the channel that we had come out of, but I knew that the tide was still coming out and I would not be able to swim in the channel, especially with the added currents brought about by the storm. My only chance was to swim on the very edge of the channel. I knew I had to swim in far enough so that I could begin to grab the rocks on the side of the channel and use those to pull myself into safety. Well, you know what, then it was, that's when my struggle began. I swam as hard as I could in between the waves, simply to not lose ground. And then I would let the waves push me in a couple of feet at a time. Then I would swim as hard as I could and then let the waves push me another couple of feet. I estimate I was doing that for anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes. <laughs> I'd be dead if I was this age, but I was young and I had plenty of energy and I believed that the Lord was not gonna leave me out there to die. I'd almost given up hope of seeing the coral by the channel when I spotted my first rock in, the, in all the haze that was happening because of, of the crashing waves. I began to haul myself in hand over hand until I reached the inside of the reef. When I returned, I discovered that the boys I, when I returned to the village, I discovered that the boys had made it in safely, but the people were actually worried about me. You know, I'll never forget that experience because it taught me some lessons. First of all, life is made up of a series of small day-to-day -day struggles. We have to struggle sometimes. But to strive against the problems and pressures we face today without a goal or if we lose sight of the goal, it can be disastrous. What kept me swimming toward the inside of the reef was the fact that I had faith that the rocks would be there for me to grab onto. You know, God gives us in his word, in the Bible, not only instructions for how to deal with day-to-day -day struggles in life, but also the big picture. Seeing life clearly through God's word can save us a lot of heartache and wasted energy. When we begin to see things from God's perspective, our struggles take on a different light. No longer are they strivings in vain, but rather we can see ourselves running a race with a firm goal in mind. We can then run with patience. Paul said of himself in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what? Sometimes we have to forget what is behind. Because sometimes what is behind is keeping us from moving forward. Hey, we've all had struggles. We've all had difficult things in our lives. I had the same things. And some of those things drove me into alcohol and drug use for some years. And it wasn't until I realized 
that I needed to forgive and forget. Actually, I wrote a series of lessons called Lessons in Forgiveness, and it's in a book. You know, I see where God wants, if, to see where God wants to take you in life, you have to trust in him. And then put on patience, put your life in his hands, read his word, talk to him in prayer, and follow him where he leads. Hey, just like me, hang on to Jesus the rock, and he will guide you through the storms of this world to the peaceful waters of eternal life. I can guarantee you that's what he's going to do. There's a, a story that's kind of interesting. It's called Love Never Gets Tired. A mother took her six-year-old boy into the doctor's crowded waiting room. And as they waited their turn, he began to ask all kinds of questions. <laughs> Those of you who have kids know that that is the truth. In half an hour, he managed to cover almost every subject known to man. To the wonder of the others sitting in the room, his mother answered each question carefully and patiently. Well, inevitably, he got around to God. As other people listened to his relentless hows and whys, it was plain to see by the expression on their faces that they wondered, how does she stand it? But when she answered her son's next question, she answered theirs too. Why, he asked, doesn't God ever get tired and just stop? <laughs> she answered, because God is love and love never gets tired. You know, our goal as Christians is to be more like Christ. God never gets tired because of his love for us. His spirit continues to strive with us long after we would have given up. So don't give up on people. Continue to pray for them. Continue to witness to them. When God gives you the opportunity to talk to them about spiritual things, take it. Take any opening you can get. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. But be patient as our Lord Jesus Christ is patient with you. One of the big regrets I had in my life was I had the opportunity to witness to a boy who was dying. And I really couldn't make it in that day. And I found out later that somebody else went in. They witnessed to him, and he got saved. <laughs> oh, my. I lost my opportunity. But, uh, you know, uh, God gives us opportunities sometimes. We need to take those things. Here's a little funny little story. It's called, uh, well, I won't tell you what it's called. I don't want to give it away. Some saints must be a pain even for God to endure. <laughs> It's like three women who arrived at the pearly gates at the same time. St. Peter came up, came, but he said he, he had some pressing business, and would, would they please wait? He was gone for a long time, but finally came back and called one of the women in and asked her if she minded waiting. No, she said, I've looked forward to this for so long. I love God and can't wait to meet Jesus. I don't mind at all. St. Peter then said, well, I have one more question. How do you spell God? 
She said, capital G-O-D. St. Peter said, go right on in. He went out and got one of the other women and told her to come on inside. Did you mind waiting? She said, oh, no, I've been a Christian for 50 years, and I'll spend eternity here. I don't mind it at all. So St. Peter said, just one more thing. How do you spell God? She said, G-O-D. No, I mean capital G. St. Peter said, that was good, and sent her on into heaven. He went back out and invited the third woman in and asked her if she minded waiting. Yes, I did, she said huffily. I had to stand in line all my life at the supermarket when I went to school, when I registered my children for school, when I went to the movies, everywhere, and I resent having to wait in line for heaven. St. Peter said, well, that's all right for you to feel that way. It won't be held against you, but there's just one more question. How do you spell Czechoslovakia? <laughs> oh, amusing. This is just a joke, of course, but it has a good point. Will God see that we have endured patience till the end? 1 Timothy 2.12 says if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Revelation 3.10 says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to death those who live on earth. Can we say that we're enduring patiently? Are we holding on to the faith and sound doctrine? You know, God is looking for good soldiers who can endure patiently till he comes. 2 Timothy 2.3, endure hardship with us like a good soldier, soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers are people who learn how to be patient and to do what they're told and to wait on the opportunities given them. There's another story called the purposes of God. The purposes of God often develop slowly because his grand designs are never hurried. The great New England preacher Philip Brooks was noted for his poise and quiet manner. At times, however, even he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. One day a friend saw him angrily pacing the floor like a caged lion. What's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? he asked. The trouble is, is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have you felt that same way many times? I'm, I'm certain I have. Some of the greatest missionaries of history devotedly spread the seed of God's word and yet had to wait long periods before seeing the fruit of their efforts. I can name some. William Carey, for example, labored seven years before the first Hindu convert was brought to Christ in Burma. Uh, Adoniram Judson toiled seven years before his faithful preaching was rewarded. In Western Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received in the Christian church. In New Zealand, it took nine years. And in Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest of souls began. 
Thomas Akempis described that kind of patience in these words. A person does not deserve to be called patient who is only willing to suffer as much as he thinks proper and for whom he pleases. The truly patient Matt asks nothing from from whom he suffers, whether from uh, uh, those over him, his family or friends, or those in his care. But no matter what is done to him by anyone, he accepts it all as from the hand of God and counts it as gain. Do you count it as gain when the Lord allows you to suffer, to have to wait, etc.? Sometimes patience is a matter of how we view things. Sometimes we need to look at the bigger picture to help us gain patience. Here's a story of a man who finally realized the bigger picture called contentment. Once upon a time, there was a man who lived with his wife, two small children, and his elderly parents in a tiny hut. He tried to be patient and gracious, but the noise and crowded conditions wore him down. In desperation, he consulted the village wise man. Do you have a uh, rooster? asked the wise man. Oh, yes, he replied. Well, keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come see me next week. (laughs) Hey, guys, I know how this is. The next week, the man returned and told the wise elder the living conditions were worse than ever, with the rooster crowing and making a mess in the hut. Do you have a cow? asked the wise elder. (laughs) The man nodded fearfully. Well, take your cow into the hut as well and come see me in a week. (laughs) Over the next several weeks, the man, on the advice of the wise elder, made room for a goat, two dogs, and his brother's children. Finally, he could take no more, and in a fit of anger, kicked out all the animals and guests leaving only his wife, his children, and his parents. The home suddenly became spacious and quiet, and everyone lived happily. You know, I realize that some of you can actually really relate to this story. But keep in mind that our family and relatives are our first mission field. They may be hard to get along with at times. But remember that there are always people who have it worse than you do. If you're impatient with your living situation, think about the half a million Tutsis in Rwanda who've been killed and those who survive now in fear of their lives, starving to death, packed into places you wouldn't want your pet dog to live in. There's plenty of that going on in the world. So here's seven principles for erasing selfishness from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Number one, hold your tongue and refuse to speak unlovingly about a Christian brother or sister. Number two, cultivate humility by understanding that you, like Paul, are the greatest of sinners. You can only live in God's sight by his grace. We are sinners saved by grace. Number three, listen long and patiently so that you will understand your fellow Christian's need. Number four, refuse to consider your time so valuable that you cannot be interrupted to help with 
unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. Number five, bear the burden of your brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserve, uh, preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. Number six, declare God's word to, you, to your fellow believers when they need to hear it. Number seven, understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs that service. Uh-oh. That's where our modern churches have fallen down. People have become idols. They set themselves as up as an idol to other people. They long for adulation. They stand at the door of the church and shake everybody's hands and wait to hear, hear the people say, oh, that was such a great message, Pastor, etc. So we have to be careful. Um, I remember a lesson that I had to learn when I was a missionary uh, in Micronesia. I was, I had many responsibilities, and one of them was taking care of a, a guest house for the mission. And uh, I was busy at work one time in my office, and I saw this guy coming, and I knew, oh, no, he's going to want to talk to me for hours. And I didn't really want to drop what I was doing, you know. But somehow the Lord impressed on me, you better just stop what you're doing and go talk to him. It's more important. So I went out and I talked to him, and he shared some incredible stuff with me that I was able to help him with and get him back on track as a, as a deacon in the church. Uh, and I learned my lesson. Sometimes you just got to drop what you're doing and take time to talk to people. Sometimes you also need to exercise patience even when nobody else is looking. I think I almost put a, a, a picture of somebody driving their car in my background today <laughs> because that's where I lose patience most often. <laughs> and I have to be careful if there's people in the car with me that I'm not saying nasty things about the person who's cutting me off or whatever they're doing. The Lord expects us as his children to exercise patience. But think about the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself. They, he always exercised patience. He was willing to wait until the very moment he had to give his life for you and I. To die in our place. To take our penalty. For something, some things that he had never done. The Lord was perfect, but he gave up his life for you and me. It's an amazing thing, but hopefully we will want to do the same for others. To give up our rights of things that we think that we deserve. And give up our rights to what the Lord wants us to do.